Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. You have your hosts, myself, Tim Bickmore, Nathaniel Leach, and Dan Weiss. And as mentioned in our uh, oil part one episode that we released, uh, we have our good friend, John Crawford with us. In this episode, we're going to talk about oil prices moving forward, if oil prices are going to spike due to restricted supply, US being oil independent and the effects of that and how it has affected the current downtrot in price. And we also discuss, should oil companies deserve a bailout? and get John's thoughts on that, which is very interesting. And lastly, we hit on propane. So for our Wisconsin listeners, you can listen to John's thoughts on propane prices and where he feels they will be going in the near future. So thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Do you think with a lot of this restriction, like restricted demand, so demand coming off the cliff, supply really, really high, if refineries or other people start shutting down, go bankrupt, at least our understanding through different entities that we have held, it's hard to turn a rig back on. It's, it's more advantageous to keep the rig running because you're going to lose a lot of money if it's a lot of money if it's not. So could you see a spike back up in oil prices due to the collapse of companies shutting down rigs in order to restrict supply for the time being and then seeing a reverse action? We're viewing this as demand destruction only through the United States lens. The amount of world demand destruction, it's actually, I, I, I can't even put my head around the number. It's, it, you, no, nobody knows, nobody knows yet. It's, it's, it's unfathomable how much demand. You know, Vietnam's been shut down since January. They're, they're one of the largest importers of diesel fuel. I just, I have no idea because we continually just look at, because the U.S. is such a, the largest consumer. So we always view this as just, oh, if the U.S. is down, they're equipped to recover. India, what's going to happen in India? You know, we just don't know. And then you have all the other smaller countries that are so dependent upon imports with how much demand is off the market. At this point, 24, 30, 40 million barrels a day, entire oil industry would have to shut down to really balance this thing up everyone stop for like three months, just stop and let the glut go, but no one's going to do that. And so, you know, where, where, do, where, where do we sit when this ends and, you know, potential for a spike? I see what you're saying, but the differences in this is that there's so many other players that are losing in this, that have the ability to be able, I mean, Saudi Arabia's reserves are just, they can tap it at any point. And yes, we can turn rigs on faster now than we could five years ago. That is, we can turn them on faster. Saudi Arabia can just at any moment, just throw it into the market. So they're gonna take any market share and make that, keep that price down, down, down. They've got us where, where they want us right now. What's happening to us now is what they wanted to have happened to us in the last collapse. They just didn't keep the pressure on long enough. And now this is a gift. This is a gift for Russia and yeah. So how long though can saudi arabia keep this up at such low prices because as, from what i've read in the news they say that what 75 to 80 dollars uh, per barrel of oil is required to balance the saudi arabian budget so how long can they can they go at this rate 
Well, so the amount that they have in storage of oil that's already in storage. See, people, what they don't always look at with Saudi Arabia is that they have, I don't know how many millions of barrels. I forget the number. It's, it's insane. They have the largest already sitting in storage. So with demand being down this much, they don't have to produce a lick of oil for maybe a year. They can just ride the reserves that they've already had in production. They can just keep the market going low. They can actually survive this type of a downturn at this now level of demand. They can probably survive for year, year and a half. You know, no problem because they've already got it in inventory. It's already on their books. What, on the demand side there with Saudi Arabia obviously having reserves and then in addition to obviously Russia being a player, the United States, relatively speaking, in the last few years has really built up the production of oil as well through fracking and other means. And we found more oil than we even thought we had in the ground. So where does the United States sit in this when it comes to, because it sounds like the supply glut came prior to then, or even January. I mean, we've been, this has been building up oh, for some yeah. time. So where does the United States sit in when it comes to, because we are trying to become, you know, oil independent, that whole works. I mean, is this going to be continue that down that path for us or is it, you know, going to change? I I think we're experiencing a little bit of be careful what you wish for. You know, we became an exporting oil nation. Welcome to the dance, man. You know, you have to now play through all new levels of volatility. When you're a net importer, it's easy to yell and you can blame the other countries and, you know, you can say, we want to be energy independent. Well, we have been energy independent. We just don't have the right, you know, all of our refineries are tooled to take all of our oil. We make enough oil to be energy independent. Our infrastructure isn't built for what we produce. That's still our, one of our problems. So they opened up then, uh, I think, was, wasn't it Obama that opened up right near the end there of his career? He allowed us to then become an exporter of crude for the first time. So then our industry, because we were getting, you know, really glut heavy on crude there. So we entered the market and we became the number one oil producer. Well, that's a target on your back, man. <laughs> I just feel that we've entered, when we did that, we, we put a target on our back. And as long as demand in the economies of the world stayed strong, we were able to dictate the terms. But then once demand erodes, we don't have the ability to, to be as nimble because we don't have that type of reserves like a lot of these other countries do. We just don't. Because the glut that we have is not a useful glut to us. We can't refine it, only in certain markets. John, uh, changing a little bit, but staying in the realm too, and by all means, don't answer this if you do not want to, because this very well could unhinge you a little bit. Being a friend of ours, we know what that looks like. Um, and we actually like it, but uh, but but nonetheless, uh, or else I wouldn't ask this question. How comfortable do you feel talking about um, the concept of a uh, bailout to the oil industry? A bailout? No, I'm not very comfortable uh, with a bailout to the oil industry. I think the oil industry has received a lot of passes over time. And, and I do feel as if in this scenario, there was enough warning as to what was going on and they just decided to not act as quickly as need be you know if i if you would have been seeing rig counts just 
tumbling off a cliff starting in March, then yeah, you could say, hey, they were doing the best they could. I, I just personally don't feel that they were. One of the things that could have stabilized this that I cannot believe has not happened is the buying of this oil into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for the United States. I, I, I don't understand. I mean, that, that is one way that you could have you could have pushed that off the negative in a heartbeat. It could have saved us from that type of catastrophic event, which puts the fear of God in everyone, right? You know, I had farmers calling me saying, oh, you're, you're going to pay me to take diesel. It's like, no, negative is not good. Not good. We don't want to lose the industry, but we also don't want an industry that can behave recklessly, in my opinion, either. So when, when they were doing the, the, the SBA loans and, and all the stuff were going on first. And Trump brought up about filling the petroleum reserves, man, and then hold it and sell it later. I'm going, these guys need to get rid of the oil. That, 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 that's it. The problem is that I look at it now and I go, would these guys, do I trust that they would be disciplined enough to sell the oil to the government, get rid of the glut, and then not keep producing? I don't know. From what I can see in the behavior, no. No, if that price bumped right back up to 32, they're just churning it on. I just feel like it, it, they haven't gone through, they've had such a good time and it's been so profitable for now so many years that this is the first true storm that they've had to weather. The problem is that there's probably, there might be industries that did the right thing, you know, and they're paying the price in it. But as we like to say, I would never want to be in that type of business. I sometimes don't like the business that I'm in. <laughs> it's just the my my next question actually is a little off the oil topic, but still in your realm. So, from my understanding, just knowing you being a good friend, you've explained a little bit of how propane work and how um, oil and propane are very they're relative, right? They they come out with when you you, you drip oil, propane is is an extract. So, where is the propane? industry going in Wisconsin for farmers and different people and because our listeners are obviously from the state um, even people with their homes you know fueling their homes where is propane going and how is this going to affect propane prices going forward oh this is a fun one see this is this is the one where it, it's so hard for people to to, to wrap the head around it because they're seeing gasoline at 99 crude at single digits right almost now back to single digits and I'm writing about saying fill your propane tanks now. <laughs> and they're going, why? Um, the propane industry works with over the summer months of April through September, we build, we build production, right? We, we, we build production of, in, uh, uh, we build inventory through production throughout the summer months. We fill our caverns and then the caverns come down over the winter and then we refill them again in the summer all over the United States. That's just how the propane industry works. And how do you get production to keep moving in the summer? You do summer fills, you fill everything up cheap, so you get everything going. And it's all based on allocated ratios. So like, for example, uh, for every load I buy in the summer, I might get three loads in the winter. And so then the producer of the propane knows that if I produce a load for John now, I'll produce three for him in the winter, right? It creates this idea of, where the supply and demand curve is going in, in propane. But if we're not building caverns of inventory, 
we have levels. You know, we, we know historically what numbers we need to be at. If we're not at certain numbers going into the fall with a terrible corn drying season and a cold snap, a, a really cold winter, supplies can get tight. When crude oil gets this low, all the rigs shut down. There's not a lot of appetite to want to refine. There's not a lot of appetite to make propane. There's not a lot of appetite for natural gas even right now, right? So production has already been cut 25%. Canada's talking up to 50% potentially. And so what we're seeing is the, the value of propane right now is actually at one point, it was almost more expensive for a gallon of propane than a gallon of diesel fuel. And, and so when you look at the values, you just go, whoa, hey, there's something going on here. And what we're seeing is that our levels are okay right now, but they're not great. They're not great. Propane, okay, sorry, but you, 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 got, you got to hear this too, because you know, we're talking about the gluts and, and all these products, right? We came out of, uh, of the winter. We had a warmer winter, right? In the middle of March, we had the most propane in our nation's history in inventory in the middle of March. Already now, we're looking at saying we could be short on supply by the end of summer. A record in the middle of March. And we're, I mean, it was to the point to where prices were so depressed, right? That the, bot, the bottom in propane, I believe, hit about March 16th. March 17th, around there, right on St. Patty's Day. I think that's the bottom for the year. And so uh, I've been telling all my customers, I keep writing, I'm like, fill your tanks. I mean, we're, we're, we're currently at the lowest prices we've seen in many years. And, they, and people, what they keep calling, because history and patterns would show that it's cheaper usually in August. I'm telling everyone, it's not always the case. Commodities are a crapshoot. And right now, the value is here. You need to buy now. And I feel bad because a lot of people are holding off. They're like, no, I'm going to wait till August. And I said, it's not going to be this cheap. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not going to be this cheap. And so are you, you saying know, that even with oil prices not having that, right, that kickback, because you're talking about like, you know, from a world production standpoint, you're actually saying that you think propane could have a spike due to the overall restriction of, of production in oil? Propane's gone up 16 cents a gallon since the end of March. <laughs> like, wow. We're seeing an increase in prices <laughs> relative to gasoline and diesel, you know? So it's just, it's just the facts, you know? And so propane's um, not relative to gas, diesel. Not at all. Oil. Not at all. I mean, we have to explain it a lot. And, and I can understand people bunch it all together, natural gas, you know, they just bunch it all. And, um, you know, it's like, well, why is, if gasoline's 99 cents, you know, why is my propane more? And it's like, it's not even the same substance, you know, it's, and so, no, I, I'm actually, I mean, if you really want to talk supply logistics, I'm actually really nervous about propane. I've written letters to Congress already, and I'm saying, look, uh, we had force majeure from Canadian railroads last year. Uh, we don't have a, a cavern in the Midwest. Uh, our closest cavern is in Conway, Kansas, and we're only 15 million barrels of propane ahead of last year. Now, last year was also a good inventory year. However, if production cuts go through at 25 to 50 percent, 
and we're not building at a rate, uh, a good rate of build in the next eight weeks, it's too late. We can't catch up, you know? Mm. And so they talk about is the, are we ever going to have the supply issue of, of uh, 2014 again, where propane ran out and it was literally the worst two months of my entire career. Um, uh, I, I know this is really bad, but that was scary because there was no product, right? It's the middle of winter. People can die. It's just, it was awful. And the, and, and congressmen will say, can that ever happen again? And I'm like, well, yeah, anything can happen again. And it's like, we didn't do anything about it though, because it disappeared the next year. And so I said, here we go. I'm, I'm raising the red flag saying, you know, A, B, and C is happening. I, I, I'm seeing it. And if we don't hit these certain numbers in the next eight weeks, we don't have time to catch up because the production won't be there. Gotcha. And so then what do you do? There's, you know, in the past, Canada would always save the day and send us hundreds of cars of propane from Edmonton. Well, guess what? They built an exporting facility. Why would they ship rail to us when they can put it on a boat, make more money and sell it to China? Because China's buying a ton of propane, a ton. They're just, they're, they're the biggest buyer right now. And so I said, the supply points that saved us in the past are not there anymore. Yeah. You know, and the national, the, the, you know, the national organizations, they'll say, oh yeah, we're keeping an eye on it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I just don't, I don't trust it. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I always plan for the worst. And everybody said we wouldn't have negative oil prices. <laughs> yeah. We had negative oil prices. So I, I, I'm like, I'd rather us have us talking about it. And it's like, people are just afraid to talk about that because of how bad that was in 2014. And I'm like, if we can't talk about it, then, then we're already behind. I can, I can see Dan over there nodding his head saying, yep, I think I need to get some propane because I know Dan runs his house on propane as well. Um, John, we really appreciate you jumping on this call with us. And it was very fascinating. I mean, you, you definitely, I think, explained a lot about the oil markets and propane, which was, which was enlightening. But what we like to do at the end of our podcast is talk about a little bit about what we've learned. Just off of, of John's last point about how nobody's willing to talk about it, history is, is valuable, despite some, what some may seem say is the contrary. For example, my wife today read off a quote to me from one of our congressmen who said, I'm paraphrasing, he said, who cares about history? It's in the past. And that just made me laugh, in part because I'm a history major, but also because even though history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. There's things that happen in our past that it's the only way that we learn moving forward. And I, I think that people's memories are short. And when they don't want to address something, it's because they fear it. And it's when they fear it that the shit's going to hit the fan. John, again, thank you so much for coming and talking. I mean, it's nice to share you with the rest of the world because we, we get to have similar conversations with you all the time. Um, and there's it's just a, a wealth of knowledge and love the way you deliver it. I miss some of the F-bombs that we will occasionally hear, but we really appreciate you being on your best behavior on the podcast. Uh, a lot of times I like to, to end uh, my segment of, of, of my contribution here with a quote from somebody else, but I realized that why do that when I can simply quote the, uh, guru, the guru of crude himself while he sits in this podcast with us. So uh, the two things that stick into my mind that I really enjoyed was uh, John's comments that uh, commodities are a crapshoot. 
I think that's true, not just of oil. And uh, also in the context of uh, the U.S.'s uh, drive to be self, uh, self-reliant um, on oil and become exporters, to be careful what you wish for, which I think could be taken into uh, the vast majority of the finance and investment realm. Be careful what you wish for. Leaves me the, the next, and then John, you're going to have to at least give us a couple closing words here. But, you know, I think what I learned from this, and I, it, every time I talk to John, and I, I would agree with Dan, I'm glad we get to share John with, with our listeners because I come away thinking, man, I don't know anything about the oil markets. <laughs> um, and, it's, and, I, and I say that uh, laughing, but in all reality, when we talk about investing and we talk about getting into something, you have to be very aware of the ballpark you play in. And, you know, John does bring to a good point of saying people think that gas and oil and propane are, are, should be equivalent or should be relative or should work in conjunction with one another, and they don't. So even that base level of knowledge, understanding which section gets affected by what is a big, big deal. Um, so when you are going to invest, it is good to know what your circle of competence is and what you truly understand. And I think Dan always mentions you have a big circle, right? And in the middle is what you really know. And then anything outside of that, you may know, and that's where it can get really risky. Um, and I, you know, again, having the pleasure to talk with John, commodities, I think, is a crapshoot. And it's operationally heavy, and it's very difficult because there's so many moving parts. As John mentioned, you can have different kind of gas prices from Chicago to New York, and you can have different supply chain effects. And there's so many intricacies involved that you just have to be very aware of. Um, so I think it's always good to know when you're making an investment, really understand your realm. Um, and you can get humbled very quickly if you don't. So that's what I would, that's what I would leave with. And John, you, you're going to leave us with your closing thoughts. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I just want to say thanks for, you know, inviting me on here. Um, I actually don't really consider myself an expert by any means. <laughs> I appreciate the gesture, but um, anyone can provide any feedback, challenging, like, you know, fact checks, you know, always open for it. I, it. There's so much to this industry, right? It just changes. And I do my best to keep up on it. But my gosh, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, my, my, my closing uh, sentiments are is I've had uh, some in explaining all of this. I realize sometimes in, in, in talking through this whole thing that just goes into you go to the gas station and you pick up a nozzle and you don't even see the product, right? You have a relationship with this product that you never even see. And it goes into your car and you do things with it. It goes into a truck and it moves stuff. It goes into a train. And there's so much that goes into this product that we use on an everyday basis. That is now cheaper than a Starbucks cup of coffee, you know, that I just find it to be fascinating. And if you want to know more about it, I'm always happy to share resources where I get information, history. It is, it is an industry that I think everyone should know about because we interact with it every single day. And then I would, I would also say a couple things. If you're thinking about as an investor, uh, you know, buying into like, oil ETFs or learning how to trade futures, don't. Um, if you're thinking about um, buying a, a gas station, don't. If you're thinking about buying any sort of petroleum-based company, don't. 
you'll be stuck with it for 85 years like my family. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's, <laughs> but no, no, the, the, it, 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 it's fine. I just, I, I joke, but in all reality, don't, don't do it. Just don't do it. So. Uh, well, thank you, John. And uh, again, to all our listeners, we always appreciate you, you listening to three guys talk about stuff they love, including our friend John here. So until next time, we'll see you later. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.